0: Pack your bags were going overseas. Invest in
1: international companies the easy way on Easy Equities. So, maybe sometimes start small, but start. And even if you start small, just start. I think that's really the advice that I would say. We all pay our school fees. So, you know, once you start, then you can start working on your discipline, your research process, finding out who you are. But just realize this, and almost like a parting thought from me, DJ at large, is that realize that investing isn't a destination. It's not going somewhere. Investing is a journey. It's a never-ending journey. But man, is it glorious. You know, once you get in and you, like I say, you fish in the water, once you find yourself, it is one of the most rewarding things that you can do. So my advice is just start, even if it's small just start. Welcome to
0: Easy Desert, a podcast by Easy Equities, where we simplify money and investing. No jargon, no complications. Your cool guide to investing. Easy. Once again, we're putting on our aprons and turning the stove all the way up as we prepare to cook up a great portfolio with another investor. My name is DJ At Large, <laughs> and welcome to the Easy Does It Podcast, your cool guide to investing. Today's investor is a very, very experienced and OG In the space, he is an investment professional with over fifteen years of global markets experience, a podcaster, a market commentator, and he knows everything there is to know about money. That's why some people refer to him as Mo Knows,
1: (laughs) Mohammed Nala. Welcome to the Easy Does It Podcast, brother. How are you doing, DJ At Large? This is such a pleasure. So excited to be on the show. I, I think it's it's really awesome. We're gonna have lots of fun we have been chasing you for a long time so i'm
0: excited that we finally got you on the podcast Uh, real quickly we're obviously recording this remotely where
1: are you currently based so i'm currently in canada you know i moved up here a couple of years ago uh, on the outskirts of toronto i don't like to tell people but i live out in the sticks it's very nice little uh, on the fringe of urban and rural uh, and that's why I'm like a, a, a six hour time zone difference away from you which is what makes scheduling some of these a little bit tricky sometimes <laughs> but we appreciate the fact that you've woken up for us uh, you know to share a little bit
0: about your portfolio and how you've put it together Mo I actually have a random money question for you to get things started off if your investment portfolio could speak what would it say
1: about you? <laughs> my, my investment portfolio shouldn't speak, right? Uh, it's going to give away all the secrets. Uh, you know, it's going to say this guy's way too conservative. You know, I'm I'm not the kind of guy that that yolos into trades. You know, I, I think a lot of my my colleagues have always said to me, "Geez, Mo, you're missing out on these opportunities." Uh, I, I like to play the long game. You know, okay. it's slow and steady wins the race for me. Uh, and maybe I'm an old soul. You know, I, I I know my my partner in in one of my ventures, the finance coach, always calls me a boomer i'm not actually a boomer it's just sometimes you know i like to take a slow steady conservative approach and i think my portfolio would definitely say that okay so you're quite cautious calculated you don't just jump in not anymore you know i think it's been a journey i think i've, I've paid the school fees uh, there was a time when it was a lot more gung-ho you know shoot from the hip uh, you learn those lessons they're expensive lessons when i say pay school fees literally you take that money and you pay it into the market so i th- i think after cutting your teeth, going through that a couple of times, you you develop a strategy. You develop your process. Uh, and as a result, I also think, you know, you, your circumstances change in life uh, and that is an evolution over time. So that's played into why I'm a lot more conservative, a lot more cautious. Perhaps it's also the banking background. You know, when we we kind of grew up in the banking industry, you, you tend to build that conservatism into you over time uh, and it kind of gets hard baked into your, your psyche. So yeah, that's pretty much where I, I guess it comes from. Ah, oh, no, that definitely makes sense. Thank you so much for giving
0: us all of that context. I'd like to keep you on your investment toes. Hopefully we'll be able to wake you up because we know the time zones are quite different. So it's a game of never have I ever. So I'll give you three statements and you just need to tell me if it's something you've never done or it's something you've done. And then just give me a little bit of some context nonetheless. The First one is, never have I ever bought a stock because I had a good feeling about it. So there was something about the stock. You've done no research, Mo, but there's something that's saying, buy me. Uh,
1: I, I, sad to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember you know, which which stock it was? <laughs> uh, there's so many examples. You know, that's kind of cuts or cuts against what I just said to you about being conservative. I, I, I think in a portion of my portfolio, you know, sometimes you see something... Early days, Netflix is a good example. You know, I, I didn't look at the stock. I knew what the business did. I was like, geez, that's a great idea. I didn't do any deep dive on the numbers. I just said, oh, I, I like it. I buy the story and I kind of went in and jumped into the stock. So it happens from time to time. Uh, sometimes it's a good thing. Sometimes it's a bad thing. And you know, I think some of my, my good news stories come out of there. Some of my bad news stories yeah. come out of there as well. So I, I almost see it as, you know, you've got to scratch an itch sometimes. It's good to get that out of your head. You know, maybe do it, do it in a small size. And then later on when you say, okay, I'm going to do some proper detailed work and it, you can realize, oh my God, I'm being an idiot. Uh, hopefully you haven't lost all that money yet. Or you can say, well, hey, actually, yeah, that was a great idea. But for me, it's kind of getting the psychology right. Jump in yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Oh, wow, too many times. Than I, more than I'd <laughs> like to admit.
0: <laughs> all right, so let's get into the second one, right? So never have I ever sold a stock because I panicked. So something happens and you're just like, oh my god! Uh, finance goes to saying
1: I should do this as well. It's absolute pandemonium. I've got to sell, sell, sell. Uh, yes, again, you know, uh, it's, psychology, DJ at large. It's it's such an important part of this entire process, and and we can unpack that on on, on this podcast, right? But yeah, that's happened to me. I'm fallible. I'm human, like everyone else. And you know, I, I've again more often than I like to, but I'll give, I'll give you a good example, right? Uh, very recently, uh, Activision Blizzard. So that's gaming stock, right? Mm-hmm and i held the stock they were going through some leadership issues uh, i bought it i liked it i liked the investment thesis and then the stock continued kind of just sliding and sliding and sliding and eventually i looked at this and i said holy smoke okay no let's let's cut it and wait for my terrible timing right i, I cut the stock it was around 60 literally two or three days later microsoft announces that they are buying this company Jeez. and the stock jumps From $60 to $80. Like, I I promise you, it's like three or four (laughs) days, not even more than a week. And I sat there thinking, you see, this is why you shouldn't act on impulse sometimes. But yeah, yes, unfortunately, have sold the stock because I panicked. Oh, man.
0: So let's get into the third and, and last statement, which is never have I ever winged it when I knew absolutely nothing about a particular stock or company.
1: No, you know, I, I, I don't want to be a Mark Manovini out there. And then the guys are like, oh, upstart, what do they do? And then I'm like, no, the connection is bad. <laughs> yeah. if, if, if I don't know something, you know, I'm I'm yeah. going to say, look, I, I don't know that, you know, it's uh it's easier to admit that and then go and do your homework. I mean, there's DJ at large, there's no upside in pretending or posturing, you know, you've you got to be honest with yourself first and foremost. And so we're all learning. I'm learning, you know, are there millions of stocks out there? You can't possibly know everything about everything that's out there. And I think if someone asks me a question that I don't know something about, it's actually fantastic because I have my little notebook and then I make a note and I say, that's something I've got to go and learn, something I've got to go and research, read up about. Thank you so much for
0: being so honest and playing this game with us. Mo, I'm very interested to hear more about your money story. So obviously before this podcast, I've been following you for quite some time, listening to your podcast on your website, reading a bit about your story, your history. I'm keen to know, did you always know that you'd end up as an investment professional, what was your plan? Did you maybe want to be an actor or a
1: doctor? How far back do you want to go? (laughs) As far as you want to take us? I I remember my dreams being crushed when I said to my dad, you know, I want to hold an Oscar. I didn't want to get smacked by Will Smith, though. You know, I wanted to have an Oscar, I wanted to be an actor. Uh, I think as as a kid, you know, that was the dream. You wanted to be rich and famous. Mm. Uh, I just didn't know how. So I think that was the, the intent is I wanted to be rich and famous. And I remember I then thought I'd be like this, you know, billionaire philanthropist. So still working on the billionaire part of that. Uh, short answer is no. You know, I think it's a journey. You discover yourself as you go along. I, I started out university when IT was all the rage, and my undergrad is actually in, in information systems, in informatics. And I very quickly realized, I'm not cut out for that. You know, I didn't enjoy that. And then kind of found my way into economics. And then from economics, found my way to kind of get my CFA charter and so forth. So it's it's been a journey. Uh, and it's been a fantastic journey because, again, as I kind of lined up my thinking of where I wanted to be, I just found the right opportunities in life. Maybe those opportunities find you. You've got to be prepared for it. So, in short, no, didn't know. I'd, or I didn't always know that I'd be an investment professional. But once I found my stream, once I found my niche, I was a fish in water. I just, I loved it. And I guess it's something that. I just never identified because it was always stuff I was looking at. I was looking at investments from a very early age, from like 16. And I was out there hustling, working in retail, saving my money. And I started investing at that kind of age. So, you know, I guess I knew it, but I didn't know that I knew it. Mm, I see.
0: That's such an interesting one because, you know, you're already buying from that early age. Do you remember the first show you bought? I
1: first jumped into unit trusts, right? I, I guess in that day and age, we didn't have ETFs. So for someone who knew nothing about and literally, I was a 16 year old, right? So I went into unit trust or collective investment scheme. I think the first share, once I migrated from that and I started saying, okay, well, actually, I've got to buy physical shares here, you know, a single stock, was Anglos. And the reason for it is is back then, I knew nothing about shares. So you you kind of picked Anglos and Peloton and Sassel and, you know, just the big names because those were the blue chips and you kind of went for it. There was no process behind it, you know? (laughs) So yeah, Anglos, no, I I still don't own Anglos. (laughs) But I mean, Anglos has also changed a lot over the course of the, of that time period. But yeah, that I, I remember that quite distinctly. The one thing
0: I I really enjoy about you is you always talk about the importance of doing research, humbling yourself to learn and to learn and to learn, and you know quite a lot of stuff. Is there anything money related that Mo doesn't know? And you like you still you do time to research. <laughs>
1: Well, that's a great question, right? I mean, so my, my website, mo-nose.com, is very tongue-in-cheek. You know, it's because first it was a play on my nose. I have a very large nose. Our listeners can't can't see it, but I have this large nose. So it was actually Mo's nose. You know, it was a tongue-in-cheek play because we're always learning. Learning is is, is a process that never ends. The day you stop learning is the day you, you stop living, right? I think in the market space, I must say NFTs and crypto, you know, this whole world of crypto and NFTs, I know very little about it. And it's this entirely new ecosystem, right? I mean, the way you look at a digital asset is fundamentally different to how you look at a stock or a business or any other asset. And so, you know, I just wish I had much more time to delve into that universe because it's so fascinating. Uh, And I think there's a whole ecosystem, a whole generation of investors that are growing up with those being their primary skills and their frame of reference. So I'm definitely behind the curve on on that aspect. But I'm pretty sure
0: in the next coming months, you're going to know quite a lot. (laughs) Yeah, I want to dive into your investment strategy, right? How would you describe your investment strategy? DJ
1: at large, I run a couple of different portfolios. And the reason for this is that, you know, like I said to you earlier, this there's, there's gonna be a niche that you need to scratch. So some call it schizophrenic, but I like to bucket my psychology in different kind of risk buckets. And I think the, the thing that underpins it all is that I, for me, I wanna be resilient through the cycle. That's, that's my strategy overall. I wanna be resilient through the cycle and I'm gonna employ like a multiple of underlying strategies to actually attain that. Now, I look at it across multiple asset classes. Not all of it is going to be in the listed space. I think there are lots of opportunities in the unlisted space. So, in short, I'll break that down for you. You know, I've got a core, long, very boring portfolio. The thing I discussed way up front on the show, being conservative, that's a very large chunk of my assets, and it's kind of stable cash-generative businesses. They kind of pay dividends, you know, not a heck of a lot of geared balance sheets. It's almost like a value portfolio. And I try not to touch that. So there I find businesses I like, I want to own forever, I kind of hold those. Then I have a growth portion of the portfolio, slightly smaller as a as a percentage, and that's where I put the more exciting stuff. And the reason is I can't just pick value or growth because you know the cycles. I want to be resilient through the cycle. So in that growth section, I put the more exciting stuff, slightly smaller allocations, no dividends. But the idea there is you find stocks that become your 10x plays. You know mm-hmm. that's what I do in that space. And then very lastly, I have this small portion of the portfolio, 10 to 20% max where I put all of the high risk stuff and that's more trading kind of portfolio. That's where, again, when you wanna shoot from the hip, I shoot from the hip, but I do it in a very small, incubated, controlled portion of my portfolio. Uh, and that's where stuff like, for example, you know, crypto might go or in a stock where I haven't done the research, but it looks quite exciting, so I do it. And then we see, does it warrant a place in either the core long portfolio or the growth portfolio? And that's overarching how I, I kind of manage my my money. And, you know, as you were speaking, I kept thinking
0: about this idea of not having an investment strategy. What would you say is the risk for somebody who's new in investing to not have a clear investment strategy in terms of what they want to achieve?
1: I almost want to reframe that. And why I want to reframe it is that I don't think strategy is the right word. I think objective should be the word. You know, I, I see it as you have to have your objective first. And then once you have your objective, what you wanna achieve, where you wanna be, you then put in place the strategies, the underlying strategies. So the objective is where you wanna be, the strategies are the plan of how you wanna get there. And quite often people focus on the strategy, they focus on the plan, I wanna do this, I wanna trade like this, but they don't realize that they aren't aligned to where they're going to. So quite often this happens where people try and copy another investor's strategy, for example. You shouldn't do that because it's not necessarily a good fit for who you are as a person and where you want to go. I might want to go in one direction, you may want to go in another direction. So I I think if you choose your objective first, it leaves you flexible to experiment with different strategies because your strategies can change, but your objective should actually be a lot more stable. And that's how I like to kind of contextualize this. I'll I'll give you a very, very good example. You know, I I had this in one of my aggressive trading portfolio, uh, you know, carve outs, I went and I experimented with a strategy which I thought was going to take me to where I wanted to be. And it was a a very active day trading kind of a strategy. And I can honestly tell you, I I blew up all the capital because we can go into the story of how that happened. The strategy needed to change. The objective didn't need to change. So that's why I want to just contextualize that. I think the risk is if you don't choose where you want to go, you're just going to wander around aimlessly
0: in any event. Yeah, it's just reminded me of of another guest we had on the podcast who we asked, you know, what are the first steps to investing? And they said, it's knowing who you are. So trying to figure out who am I, what do I want to achieve, and then getting into it. So it's so interesting that it, it touches quite a lot on that. In terms of the basis of this episode is cooking up a great portfolio. For those who are new to investing, Mo, what would you say are the key ingredients
1: to cooking up a great portfolio? DJ you you stole my thunder. You stole my thunder with the end of your last comment, which is literally I'm sitting here thinking, know yourself first. You know that honestly, that's what I'm, I, I don't want to even curb your previous guess. It's literally, that's what my whole building block, foundational building block is, is know yourself first. Don't try and be someone that you're not. Uh, I think your needs, your psychology, your uh, your approach, its it's uniquely tailored to you. You know, you might think that you and I are the same investor. You know, I hate these kind of robo-advisor type things where they bucket you and they say, okay, you're a conservative, you're you're, you're kind of medium of the road, you're an aggressive investor. Every investor is different, there's so much nuance. So once you know yourself, that's your foundation. Thereafter, I think, start simple, you know. Uh, Nowadays, it's so much more accessible. So start simple, start with, if you don't understand markets, you know, go and experiment with ETFs, for example, that give you passive exposure. know once you know a lot more about specific stocks you can start experimenting with putting in an individual stock here or there and then manage your risk manage your risk manage your risk i I can't stress this more you know i think quite often people invest and then they kind of go on autopilot and you just got to manage your risk very closely because at the end of the day if you look after your capital you know your drawdowns uh, look at it this way if you start off with 100 and you lose 50 to get back to 100 from 50 you need a hundred percent return you don't need a 50 percent return so that's why i say if you manage your risk that's critical to cooking up a great portfolio and then lastly don't feel the pressure to yolo you know i think everyone uh, oh, you know i saw this on twitter dj at large is investing in this stock oh look at for example let's use Virgin Galactic, the stock's at 50. Oh, it's going to the moon. You know, going to the moon is this phrase on Fintwit that drives me insane because the stock's now down under 10 bucks. So don't YOLO. If you're cooking, remember that sometimes you put something in the oven. And then you got to let it slow roast if you really want it to cook properly. Yes, yes. I absolutely love these
0: ingredients. You know, the idea of get some ETFs, get some skin in the game, and then you start to educate yourself, learn about companies. How do they work? How do you do the research? Then you have to manage your risk, you know, in order to protect that investment. Now that you know who you are, you know what you're about, you know what you're starting to do is sort of just, you know, find your feet. So you've touched on crypto a little bit, right? I'm curious to know what type of crypto have you invested in? What are you holding? A little bit of some,
1: Bitcoin? Actually not holding anything right now. So I've traded crypto. I haven't quite gotten around to having it as like a core long in my overall portfolio, right? So I've, I've looked at it opportunistically. It goes in that risky portfolio that I mentioned to you, the trading portfolio, you know? So it's always been a very small part of my overall asset allocation. I think it's interesting. I just, because I mentioned to you that I don't know enough about the space, it's something where I'm not confident enough to put a much larger allocation into it. Uh, and so, because I traded, I've traded stuff like Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's a vehicle that allows you exposure to Bitcoin, but through your normal brokerage account. You know, out out here in the U.S., for example. So, you know, I've had crypto. I'm not in a crypto position as we stand, but that's not to say I wouldn't consider it again. I just think there's so many moving parts. There's regulation. You know, all of those things. Unless I come to grips with it, it's never going to form a very large portion of my portfolio. I just need to find the time to be able to do the proper research on it so that I understand how I can contextualize it in my psychology and in my overall strategy. Does it fit with my objective? I think the proviso here as well is that everyone who listens to me on on Magic Markets will know that I have a long gold position. that I've had it for a long time. So to scratch that itch off, doomsday, the world's falling apart, I still have a core gold. Some people think that that gold position should be a crypto position. So ideologically, it's aligned. I just don't necessarily have that exposure in crypto at this point in time.
0: In terms of uh, your growth and value portfolio, uh, what would you say are three of the best performing shares or ETFs that you currently have?
1: Again, depends on how long, how far back you want to go. You know, what, what what do you define as as great performance I'll, I'll give you a couple of names. So, you know, over the the last couple of years, Microsoft's an easy one. You know, that's easy. Everyone knows about Microsoft. It's a stock I like. Again, we've covered it on Magic Markets Premium in a lot of detail for some of our subscribers there. So I like that stock. I've held it for a long time from like the hundreds and it's all the way up now. So here's that. Some other names that people might not know about, let's say in the growth portfolio, for example, would be something like a a Mongo database. Now Mongo is a, a real estate play on data centers in China. So you're getting mega trends of China. You're getting mega trends of the cloud data uh, you know, that 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 kind of flavor that comes through, and it's been quite volatile. So again, you know, had it from around the hundreds, it went up to 600, now down to 400, but it, it's one of those growth plays that I think is a phenomenal business. Uh, and then kind of in the core long stuff like uh, Prologis, which is a big REIT, you know, it's, it's one of the, in fact, it's probably the largest REIT out here, and, you know, that's something that's good, long, core, stable cash flows, good dividend payer. So yeah, that's some of the best stuff that I guess I've had in my portfolio over the course of the last couple of years. I want to talk a bit about the bad. Are there any stocks that are um, pe- perhaps
0: not performing as well, but you're holding on to them with the hope that at some point in time, things may may look up a little bit.
1: <laughs> oh, this is, I always love these discussions because it forces me to be honest with myself, right? So I'll even tell you why I still hold some of these. So one stands out, and again, I mentioned this on, on, on the Magic Markets podcast, it's called Huya. Mm-hmm. And, and why it stands out in my head is that, again, my co-host there, the finance coast, he joked and he said, Huya sounds like the sound you're making as as you watch the stock fall <laughs> all the time, right? So it's it's a Chinese gaming stock. I've held it from like 30 bucks. It's currently down at around four or five bucks. Mm. And, and the reason it's still in the portfolio is that I took a small position, and now you can imagine that that small position is a minuscule position, so I'm saying, Ah, oh, well, you know, it doesn't actually move the needle. If I sell this, maybe my brokerage will cost more <laughs> than the position. But yeah, so, so Huya is a bad example, right? Uh, and again, one that I've publicly spoken about as well. I'm not, not ashamed about it. It's just, it's gonna stay there because there's no point selling it at this stage. Um, Alibaba, uh, it's, it's been hit. I, I, I've i not been a China bear. So I've, I've ridden some of those Chinese stocks down quite a bit. I think I've held Alibaba from like 200 bucks down to 100 bucks today. So I still believe in the business. You know, but it's, that's, that would go in terms of one of my worst performing shares. Uh, and then Zoom, right? So so Zoom, again, I, I, depending on time frame, I got in very early, like sub 100 bucks. It went all the way to 600 bucks. It it's looking like a hero. And now it's all the way back down to 100. So again, I believe in the business. It's in the portfolio, uh, but it has whipsawed all over the show. And again, people ask me, Chish Mo, how do you ride that all over the show? Is that it doesn't sit in my trading portfolio. If it were in my trading portfolio, I would aggressively trade that. I'd look at the price action and say, okay, great, up here, I wanna sell. And down here, I wanna buy. And remember, if it goes in my core long portfolio, I'm not churning that all the time. There's not all of these taxable events coming through in the long portfolio. In the trading portfolio, you can afford to be a lot more active, a lot more aggressive.
0: I mean, I could see the pain in your face because we can see each other, but I I just appreciate that you were honest about it. (laughs) Um, Mo, there's there's, there's something that I'd like to ask you from an education point of view, because one of the things that I, I really like about you is there's an education element to the things that you do, the things that you say, the things that you even tweet. What would you say is more important? Time in the market,
1: or trying to time the market? Mm, Yeah, I mean, that's one of those age-old questions. And I would say both, right? And that's not a cop-out. I'll tell you why it's not a Mm -hmm. cop-out. That's how I apply it in in my own portfolio. There's the time in the market portfolio, which is the core long stuff. Mm -hmm. And then there's the timing the market, which is slightly more trade-orientated. But you can even overlay those two. So even if you're looking at taking a core long position, for example, and this is so critical. Again, you know, I want to just refer to some of the work because I've been very transparent in my approach. We we showcase this every week in, in Magic Markets Premium as well, where you, you look at the investment thesis on a stock. You might like it, but then you've got to look at the price action. And when you look at the price action, that's going to tell you, okay, you might like a stock, but maybe you don't want to quite buy it here. You know, the technical analysis is telling you this might come off a little bit. So then you set the levels where you want to get involved, where you want to buy, or maybe where you want to exit your position. That's why I say it's both, because the second element, the technical analysis, the watching the price action, that's more timing the market, okay, whereas time in the market is the fact that if you're not in the market, you're just missing out on the potential to generate those returns. And then sometimes you just, you got to take those positions and then be patient with them. Let it slow roast, as as I referred to earlier. So it's a bit of both for me. If you could have a sneak peek into somebody else's portfolio, who would it be and why? It's not my style, right? I'm not copying out here. I think most most of the very high profile people's portfolios are public. You go and look through filings, but like people like Bill Ackman, you know, he's just, he's interesting or Mm -hmm. Carl Icahn. Uh, George Soros, you know, George Soros may be a lot less prevalent nowadays. He kind of moved from Soros fund management into a family office now. So so maybe I would say maybe George Soros, I think he'd be interesting. Why is he interesting? I mean, a lot of people don't know George Soros, he was the guy who broke the bank of england so he looks at these big macro plays he takes high conviction views uh, and he bet against the pound and he won against a central bank of a developed nation so yeah i would say maybe someone like thesaurus just in terms of understanding the psychology you know how how do you get your psychology right on a trade like that you know how do they contextualize positions and sizing you know when to double down when to cut a position for me, it's not about what are they holding, because like I said to you earlier, it's it's not a cookie cutter process, right? It's part of the process is learning about yourself. So I want to learn what's the psychology behind some of these big names out there. How do they keep their, their minds aligned, especially at diff- difficult times in the market? That's what's fascinating for me.
0: And we've been talking about a lot about this throughout this episode, emotions, the psychology of stuff.
1: How do you keep your emotions intact? You, you ask how I do it. and I'm going to say with mixed success, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think it goes back to my whole strategy of having different buckets of my portfolio, because I know sometimes there's this primal urge to do something. So I then do it in a small size in a portfolio that I can afford to to have the volatility in. I don't mess with the long-term stuff. So the strategy there on the long stuff is don't check your portfolio every five seconds, you know, literally. I think one of the benefits of of ease of access of trading is that it's at your fingertips, but one of the drawbacks is that it actually makes managing the psychology more difficult, especially if you're inexperienced. As you go and you check your portfolio all the time and you're like, the stock is down, I should do something. Sometimes sitting on your hands is the most valuable thing you can do. So I would say to keep that is do your homework. Once you've done your homework, Back yourself, but also have clearly defined like th- these are my risk parameters. If the stock falls here, I'm gonna get out. Mm-hmm. If the stock rises here, I'm gonna take my profit. You know, I'll give an example. Moderna, good example, right? I had Moderna from a hundred bucks, hundred dollars a share. This thing ratcheted up. That's the, the COVID vaccine company, mm-hmm. right? And it ratcheted up all the way to around I, I think I got out in like the upper three hundreds, close on four hundred dollars. It then pushed even further. I think it went all the way to around five, $600 a share. And I was like, so I had exited, because I had, that was my my, my discipline, yes. I said, I'm done. And having that discipline is so important. And so don't watch the stock as it continues to rise. If you thought it was good and you got out, you made the money, that's happy days, right? I think in terms of keeping the psychology, I have these big notes that say, stick to the discipline, stick to the discipline. And even with that, it hasn't saved me every single time. Because sometimes you're looking at the note, but your mind is moving in a different direction. It's, it's a learning process. You're going to do it with mixed success over time. And that's the reason why I say risk management is so critical, because risk management helps save you from yourself. Well,
0: lastly, what words of wisdom do you have for those who are new to investing and are perhaps
1: even afraid to get started? Just do it, right? I think the earlier, the better. there's, There's so much literature out there about the power of compounding being such a powerful force. And I think it becomes easier with time, right? So nowadays markets are so accessible to everyone. There are resources at your fingertips from a trading perspective. There are resources at your fingertips from a research perspective. Uh, I think jump in, you know, if if you're afraid, you know, I think you really should only be afraid of, of, of losing that money that you can't afford to lose. So maybe sometimes start small, but start. And even if you start small, just start. I think that's really the advice that I would say. We all pay our school fees. So, you know, once you start, then you can start working on your discipline, your research process, finding out who you are. But just realize, listen, I, almost like a parting thought from me, DJ at large, is that realize that investing isn't a destination. It's not it's not going somewhere. Investing is a journey. It's a never ending journey, but man, is it glorious. You know, once you, once you get in and you, like I said, you fish in the water, once you find yourself, It is one of the most rewarding things that you can do. So my advice is just start. Even if it's small, just start. Mo,
0: how do we keep in touch with you? You're doing so much. I know you're very vocal on social media as well. You're doing some great work in the podcasting space. Where are you? How do we get in touch with you? Where do we know Mo knows? We need to catch him somewhere.
1: Yeah, I think the the easiest way is uh, I'm on Twitter. So that's at Mohammed. Nala, that's M-O-H-A-M-E-D-N-A-L-L-A, so at Mohamed Nala, uh, and then I guess the best platform is really Magic Markets, you know, we, we, we have a podcast very similar to, to yours, slightly different in intent, uh, and you can find me there on magic-markets.com. I think that's where I share a lot of my thinking along with the finance coast in terms of how we look at stocks, the educational element, and again, it's, it's global stocks, but it's that South African flavor, you know. And that's what we try and bring. So I think those are probably the easiest ways is social media on Twitter is probably easy for me. And then on the website through magic-markets.com.
0: Ah, Mo, thank you so much for your time. Cooking up a great portfolio with Mo Knows, an investment professional and the co-host of the Magic Markets podcast. That's what we do on Easy Does It Your Cool Guide to Investing. Thank you for pressing play on the Easy Does It podcast. A big shout out to you for hanging out with us. Don't forget to subscribe. We are on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of this episode on Twitter and Insta. Our handle is at Easy Equities.